gives birth to a baby conceived in violence is traumatized and has to navigate all of the tasks of pregnancy, childbirth, and then nurturing a baby. Those things are hard enough when everyone's overjoyed about it. It's a wanted pregnancy. Just try to imagine the situation. Hi, welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. Welcome in. We're going to talk about a pretty tough topic today, Cindy. Yes, we are, Julie, but it's important. Like most topics we cover on this podcast, we realize that we need to learn more about it. And we feel that you listeners probably do, too, if we do. But I just want to let you all know it could be triggering for some people. That's true. We always want our listeners to take care of themselves. So here we go. There's a horrifyingly high rate of sexual violence toward women and girls in this country, uh, not to mention all over the whole world, actually. Yes. Nearly one in five American women out of about 168 million report being raped at some time in their lives. That's a lot of women. And some estimates are as much as twice as high because rape, of course, isn't always reported or believed. Mm-hmm. Then there are about 85 million moms. Consider how many moms you know. The odds are high that every one of us knows at least one woman and most likely way more than one who've been raped or sexually assaulted. Right. Over 32,000 rape-related pregnancies are estimated for adult U.S. women every year. Every year, 32,000. This doesn't necessarily mean you know of any specifically, but this is just a lot of babies born of sexual violence. Yeah. One in five survivors of rape doesn't report it because they're afraid of retaliation. 13% of survivors don't believe the police will do anything, and they're not all wrong. Only about 6% of reported rapists ever do time in jail. 6%. Notably, a low number. Survivors of rape are flooded with so many emotions, and the experience can have deep impact on the survivor and everyone around her, her family, her friends, her community, and it usually does. True, Julie. Feelings of shame and guilt can haunt them for months or even years or sometimes forever. A lot of women feel incredibly alone, like no one understands what they're going through, even though so many other women actually do. Right, Cindy. It's just that people are afraid to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. They think they're going to be blamed by whoever they tell. They have PTSD. So, of course, it's very isolating. Yes, And most rape survivors develop physical and emotional symptoms after the rape. And at least a third develop post-traumatic stress disorder, probably more. Women feel extra anxious and hyper alert, at the very least, to possible threats. Well, that's true even for women who have not yet been raped. Yeah. A lot of survivors try to distract themselves from thoughts and horrible memories of the rape 
and they might even end up escaping with drugs or alcohol, and this can lead to addiction issues. Rarely, though, is this enough to actually prevent the disturbing flashbacks and nightmares, so it's not exactly helpful. Survivors of sexual assault sometimes have difficulty regulating their emotions, especially in challenging moments. If they already had any mental health struggles like anxiety, depression, or post-traumatic stress, it becomes even harder to get through. A lot of survivors fall into major depressive episodes or they consider suicide. About 13% of survivors actually attempt suicide. So just surviving rape creates all kinds of havoc. The experience itself is enough to make you feel nauseous and sick every single day. Exactly, Cindy. Now, listeners, take a breath. Now imagine on top of that, you're pregnant. You're pregnant from the rape, from the horrible person who raped you. In the middle of trying to deal with all these emotions and physical reactions, the survivor has to now figure out what to do in a very timely way. This is probably why when women or girls end up pregnant through violence, about a third of them are in denial that they're even pregnant and they don't recognize it until the second trimester. Then all of a sudden, they have to struggle with trying to make a time-sensitive decision on what to do right after being traumatized by a rape and already dealing with the physical and emotional consequences of sexual violence. It's horrifying. They have to come to terms with the fact that violence produced a pregnancy in them, that they are carrying part of the blood and DNA of their rapist. And they have to figure out how to handle pregnancy and a potential baby in their life, a baby who would be the child of the person who raped them. That's intense. The intense ambivalent feelings and reactions they feel in extreme cases can lead to physical abuse, abandonment, or infanticide. And more commonly, some mothers decide to either have an abortion or to put the baby up for adoption. Some decide to raise that child. No matter what they decide, the tasks ahead of them are challenging and painful and can likely lead to depression, anxiety, insomnia, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Having supportive family and friends can be critical in helping move forward in life with whatever choice a survivor makes, but they often still feel isolated and worried about how they and their children will be treated. And in some cultures around the world, women who become pregnant from rape face violence and death even from their own families. Some of the women kill themselves first. Children born from rape are often unwanted in the community and looked down on. At best, there might be a ton of strong mixed reactions from family and friends or others around them, ranging from support and empathy to blaming and shaming. The pregnancy and the baby itself might be referred to in very negative ways. People may question the fact of the rape itself just because the woman chooses to keep the baby. So what's usually a very exciting time becomes horrifying. The woman may feel a lot of pressure to get rid of the baby, either by adoption or abortion, even if the pregnant person sees the child as a positive outcome from a terrible experience, which is possible. And a lot of them might see the social pressure as another violation of them. That all makes sense. Not all rape survivors react to a pregnancy in the same way. 
but all of them do need support no matter what they decide to do. The key is choice, truly letting it be her choice. That's what gives the best chance for a decent outcome psychologically. Absolutely, Cindy. The sexual violence already took away control and choice in a really deep, memorable way. They don't need to feel assaulted by having decisions forced on them or by being judged for something and their decisions about it, something that was not their fault. Having no choice in whether they have the baby or not deepens the trauma and impacts the mother and the child. No matter what they choose, it's a lonely and very painful decision. And the woman who gives birth to a baby conceived in violence is traumatized and has to navigate all of the tasks of pregnancy, childbirth, and then nurturing a baby. Those things are hard enough when everyone's overjoyed about it. It's a wanted pregnancy. Just try to imagine the situation. The ambivalence can be overwhelming. Clinical reports describe feelings of rejection and hatred because the child is a constant reminder of the sexual violence. At the same time, the survivor likely has motherly feelings of love and protection because it's her baby. It's got to be so confusing. And unfortunately, the violence that caused this child's existence can become a wedge between the mother and the child. Any new mom with symptoms of post-traumatic stress and depression would have trouble getting through day to day and would struggle in her interactions with her child. Right. So a traumatized mother can be even less emotionally available, more sad, more anxious in interactions with her child. It can be hard to separate her own terrible experience from fears and feelings that she has around her child. Research has also shown that the experience of sexual violence of mothers negatively impacts the well-being of their children. This is one of those things we don't really need research to tell us, but it does strongly confirm what we already know. Right? <laughs> Why We don't need research for that. The long-term emotional effects of sexual abuse in cases where a child is created impact the mom, the child, and of course, their relationship. The child is linked to serious trauma and Raising them, unfortunately, can be a constant reminder of it. The child may come to feel rejected and isolated from their own mother. The mother may not be able to separate the child from the rapist as hard as she may try. And then there are the reactions of family members, as well as extended family members and friends and the community. And all of these, again, can be critical in offering support or they can worsen issues for the mother and child. It might be hard for a mom struggling with her own emotions to be able to calm a child and develop a healthy relationship. This could make it hard for the child to learn to manage their own emotions. And these are just some of the ways that the life of the child may have serious challenges. The hostility and stigma that they get from other people can be very harmful. Even in ancient and medieval times, women who bore children conceived in rape were allowed to let them die with little consequence except their own tortured conscience. Which, you know, that's no small thing. Yeah. And how do you tell the child about their other parent and the circumstances under which they were conceived? This is one of the difficult aspects of their lives and of the relationship between the mother and her child. Right. And children need to grow up with a sense of 
self-esteem and love and attachment. And these messages can be very confusing, but they have to be sorted through. And then an added obstacle, as if they needed any more, is that a fair amount of rapists actually have the nerve to try to get parental rights and visitation. In a lot of cases, the rapist is a friend or relative, and they want to claim a right to be in the child's life. Cindy, that is a nauseating thought. So much entitlement, so cruel. It is nauseating. When rape can't be proven or charges aren't filed, joint custody can be a possibility. There typically needs to be clear and convincing evidence of rape in order to terminate a father's paternal rights. And for a lot of reasons, as we've said before, and you can imagine what they are, when there's a child involved, women don't always report what happened and they don't want to fight about it and they don't want to go to court and announce it when there's a child who then gets labeled as the child of rape. It's so complicated. Yep. A lot of women can't prosecute their rapist for all kinds of reasons, so they're left without any proof of assault or violence. Criminal conviction is rare. So again, another aggressive violation for the woman who has already been harmed and violated. She has already suffered enough and still has to either prove she was raped or potentially share a life of raising a child with the rapist in her life. Think about that. Both the mothers and their children born of sexual violence need to feel a secure attachment. They need to get care for any trauma-related symptoms, and they need to learn to deal with the stigma that they will both likely experience. Survivors can still have positive, healthy relationships with their children. Maybe we shouldn't have waited till the very end to say this. The parent getting help can be the most critical thing for the child so that the trauma of abuse doesn't interfere with loving family bonds. It's an important point. There is hope. If you've experienced sexual assault or rape, call the National Sexual Assault Hotline, 1-800-656-4673, and please get help. The hotline is operated by RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, which stands for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. And it's a hotline that connects people with medical, legal, and mental health support services. Very important. Yes, it is. Thanks for joining us. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on Third. Till next time. Take care.